Welcome into Defeating the Curse. It seems like forever, and you know what? I can confirm it has been forever since the world has heard my voice and the voices of DTC. But we are back. We are not going anywhere. There's been some rumblings. Why are the boys not recording? Where are the shows? Where's the content? Football season's around the corner, etc., etc. Yes, 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 and yes. But this is what happens when two of your co-hosts or two of your your uh, your your standard show voices, if you will, have three kids. One just added one, and one is completely in the wind missing. There are some others that hopefully can back us up, but one of them is also having a kid. One of them is completely unreliable. So this is what you get for a little bit longer until things kind of settle down in our lives. Kids get back into school, and life kind of resumes. My name is Joe. This is Defeating the Curse. If you've never listened to this podcast before, if you're in Washington, D.C., welcome to the only four fans by fans podcast covering the big four locally. We talk about everything. We do, we do sprinkle in some topics, uh, you know, political topics. We talk about TV. We talk about movies. We talk about everything on this podcast. And we talk about national storylines as well. The Nationals, look, if you're a Nationals fan, we got a long-form interview sit-down coming up uh, later this weekend. Make sure you check it out, talking about the resurgent Nationals that are now closing in on the division-leading uh, uh, Braves, especially on, on I mean, Strasburg yesterday, unbelievable. Probably his best performance as a professional in his, in, I mean, his entire career, best day of his entire life. And if you're a Nats fan, you want to listen to this long-form interview talking, breaking down why this team has been the best in baseball going back almost two months now, where they stand in the division, comfortably into the play, into the wild card uh, race as well. Lots and lots of Nats stuff coming up. Wizards, Wizards got some headlines I'm going to jump into myself. This is a solo show. Again, I, I love solo shows because it's a lot of me talking and I don't mind a lot of me talking. I don't think a lot of you mind a lot of me talking, uh, but we got to talk about the Wizards and the trade that may or may not be actually out there for Shep to make, potentially moving Wall and Beal to Miami. We'll get into some of that as well. But since the last time we recorded a show, way back on July 2nd, America has celebrated a birthday. Megan Rapino and uh, Team USA has celebrated a World Cup victory. We've got to talk about that a little bit. LP, if he ever resurfaces, him and I will talk about that team, that win, and what it means here domestically for, for the women's uh, professional soccer league. I think there's uh, some topics there to discuss. The most important, and I'll just get this off my chest right now, this equal pay nonsense that everybody's running around and media is just parroting this, oh, pay them the same, pay them or pay them more because they're more successful. Listen, this is simple economics, okay? The men receive about 7% of the total revenue generated from the Men's World Cup. The women receive about 20%, just over 20%, just under 21% of the total revenue generated by the Women's World Cup, which means the women make three times as much as the men based on total revenue. So if you want equal pay, the women can, the option one, they can give money back, they can give two, two X of their money back, to the uh, to, to FIFA, and then they make the same based on profit share or the splits as the men's team. Or the best thing that they can that they can do, Rapino first and foremost, Alex Morgan, my girl Rose Lavelle, who's going to be a stud for a long time for this team. The best thing they can do is encourage people to go attend, um, obviously national team events, but also the the NSWL and get people in the stands and buying that product. If TV money goes up, ad money goes up then guess what? Their pay goes up as well. That's just simple economics. It's how it works. The WNBA players a couple years ago made a lot of noise about making more money or, or you know, maybe not equal to the men, but more money. But 
the problem is that league loses money, and if it wasn't propped up by the NBA, they would be making no money. They'd all be playing internationally. So, you know, this is simple economics. I'm not. It's not a political argument whatsoever. It's just reality. This is what it looks like. I mean, this is this is what it looks like when you don't. I mean, they're making more based on a percentage than their male counterparts. So, you know, if equality is what we're after, then we're actually talking about a pay cut. But uh, you know, maybe maybe Steve and I can get into this when he comes on the show uh, later on this weekend. But for now, so many other topics I want to get into. You know, and picking it up right before I went on vacation a few weeks back, Colin Kaepernick had just shut down a Nike shoe, the Betsy Ross uh, Nike shoe, and then literally the what it was July third or July fourth, I forget what day it was. There's an earthquake in L.A. Uh, baseball players don't feel it. There's really no panic. And then the real earthquake happened very, very, very late. Uh, in the in the evening that night, Kawhi Leonard announces that he's going to the Clippers. One hour later, the Clippers announce that they've also acquired Paul George. And hello, NBA offseason again, dominating everything, everywhere. It used to be that the NFL dominated basically year-round. Let me tell you something. The NBA offseason is unlike anything else in sports. It really is. I mean, people care more. I care more. And I'm, an, I'm actually like a basketball guy about the NBA offseason than I do about most of the regular season. This is incredible, and the NBA—it's actually a pretty big problem for the for the for the NBA. But look at what happened basically in the span of three or four weeks. We went from we transitioned in real time from an era of super teams, you know, and this can go back. You can you can argue this goes back to the Celtics uh, with Garnett, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce. It certainly carried on with uh, the Heat, with LeBron, with Wade, with Chris Bosh. We saw this with uh, obviously with the Warriors acquiring uh, Kevin Durant and basically that that team that new dynasty. I don't like the word dynasty, but you can't argue against it. In some cases, the Warriors certainly are are you can't argue against them. But in a matter of weeks, the NBA has transitioned from you know you need three stars on a team to be competitive to dynamic duos all over the league. And ironically, the teams that have more than two right now, I'm, and I'm talking about you, Utah Jazz. I'm talking about you. Portland Trailblazers, uh, like those teams are going to be sneaky good all season long, uh, especially until the Warriors get healthy in the West. But look at these dynamic duos all around the league: LeBron and and um, and the Brow in LA one or LA big or LA Lakers. Right now you have Kawhi and Paul George on LA small or LA two, the Clippers. Right, you have you have Houston acquiring the rights to. Russell Westbrook, reuniting Westbrook and Harden. And let me tell you something. They may not, on paper, seem like the best fit, but those guys don't miss games. They don't. They play almost every game, every season. I am so excited to see that team in action. And and you got to give, I'm going to give Russell Westbrook here, you don't got to do anything, but I'm going to give Russell Westbrook a ton of credit here because over the last two seasons, what we saw from him maturing as a basketball player, trusting in his teammates, primarily Chris uh, uh, Paul George, uh, we we saw Russell Westbrook change. Like essentially, you know, he went from "I want all the shots. I don't care if you're Kevin Dar- uh, Kevin uh, Kevin Durant." Now he's he's able to defer. He, I think he understands what it's like, what how he needs to play to be successful with another star or superstar. This Rockets team is going to be really good. They they won't be able to defend at all because I mean, we, Harden is a well documented poor defender. Russell Westbrook is not really a lockdown defender himself. But man, offensively, this team will be fun to watch, and they don't miss games, which means sometimes you know where these where these other duos are going to miss time. You look at LA, look at LeBron and, and Anthony Davis; they're probably going to miss twenty apiece, 
right? If, if numbers hold true over the last couple of seasons, even if they miss 15 apiece, or even if they miss the same 15, that's going to make them less competitive, especially in a, in a very tight Western Conference now. Whereas Houston, they're going to have their full, their stars are going to, you know they're going to lace up every single night, ready to go. You know, last I checked, they only play with one basketball at a time, so I'm not really sure how that's going to work over the course of the whole season, but what a duo that is. What, I mean, absolutely incredible. And listen, for all the people that are out there complaining, oh, Chris Paul, poor Chris Paul, he's never going to win a ring and blah, blah, blah. That's his own doing, okay? This guy has torpedoed every team he's been on going back to the Hornets when he first came into the league, uh, when, when the Pelicans were the Hornets. He is a terrible teammate. He's a cancer in the locker room. This is all, this, I'm not creating this, and I, I haven't talked to him about it, but this is all documented and, and pretty, pretty clearly and succinctly well-known. And now he's in OKC. Don't fool yourself. OKC is going to move him somewhere else. Miami was the rumbling early on, maybe pair him with a Jimmy Butler, but it looks like the Wizards actually may be the, the winner here ultimately in the long term because Miami, if they're, if they're out there shopping for a point guard, apparently Shep has a deal in the making, or at least the rumblings of something in the works here, sending Beal and Wall, uh, you know, one great contract and one, or one reasonable contract and one terrible contract to Miami. Now, I don't know how Miami makes that work financially, but, you know, that could be an interesting pairing as well with, you know, a Beal and a Butler and potentially a healthy Wall, hopefully. I mean, I'm a Wall guy, but Achilles, the Achilles injury is a, is a, I mean, that's a tough injury and a, there's no guarantees with that, you know, but you look at them and you say, okay, well, you know, it's hard for me as a Wizards fan. It's hard for me to say trade Bradley Beal. It, it just really is. But, you know, I'm not running the team. It's not my money per se, but if, if I have an opportunity to offload wall and it's going to cost me Beal, like I'm, I'm 51% to 49% here going to probably take that deal and just, start over and, and try to collect picks because I am a little envious of what OKC did. I mean, Presti on a fly basically reset the whole team. He went from acquiring Mello two seasons ago to trying to figure, you know, keeping George, acquiring Mello, trying to figure out how to make it work, not being able to make it work, retooling. And then all of a sudden in a span of, in a span of a week, he gets a ridiculous amount of value for Paul George. I mean, so many picks, he's not, Paul George, you know, excellent basketball player. He's not worth four or five first round picks. He's just not. And he gets even more first round picks from Houston and uh, for Russell Westbrook. So that team went from competitive to rebuild, maybe again uh, around Westbrook to completely scrap and start over. But he's going to have, you know, OKC's going to have two first round picks essentially for the next six, six drafts. That's amazing. I mean, it, it's amazing. They, they literally are going to rebuild that team. You know, they're going to stink for two or three seasons, but, you know, let's not forget, at one point in time, they had drafted Westbrook. They had, you know, the team moved with uh, with Durant already on the roster when they came over from Seattle, but they had, I mean, they had Durant, they added Westbrook, and then they added Harden, and a couple other nice pieces around them. Uh, you know, they had Ibaka on that team. I mean, that was a really young and promising team, so, you know, everybody, like, if there's one guy I trust to rebuild a team on a fly, it's, it's OKC, it's Sam Presti, and... He's got enough picks to, to figure it out as he goes now. Like there's like if you're an OKC fan, yes, it's gonna be terrible, but there's there's reason to still be hopeful that you have management in place that knows what they're doing. You're not I mean, it's not Ernie Grunfeld there running the show. It's somebody who knows what they're doing. You know, elsewhere around the league, you know, the Wizards do sign Isaiah Thomas for the money. You know, LP and I had this conversation offline. It's actually a pretty good signing. You know, it's it's reasonable value if he if he's healthy and pans out and he's getting the he's getting, you know, his uh, 20 plus points per game the way he did a few seasons back 
with Boston, assuming he's completely healthy, he becomes a very tradable asset come trade deadline to, to a contender or somebody who needs a piece. For, uh, you know, if he doesn't work out, he really doesn't cost you too much. And if you end up holding on to Beal, then, you know, it's, it's not bad. Like, it's not a bad piece to have with Beal either. Like, just to have uh, an I-court of, uh, a backcourt of Isaiah Thomas and Bradley Beal, you know, until Wall is healthy and able to return. It's not a bad, it's not a bad fit. Like, they need scoring. Uh, you know, IT's not going to defend anybody, but he can score. He's proven that he can score in this league when given an opportunity. He can also run an offense. So, I, I don't mind. I don't mind that signing so much. And, uh, you know, elsewhere, Avery Bradley signs a, a pretty sweet deal with uh, with the Lakers. The Lakers really, it was clear they didn't have a backup plan if they missed, if they swung and missed on Kawhi. Kawhi, by the way, if you haven't read about, about Kawhi, just type his name into a browser and read some of the stories. I mean, he is one odd guy, and I'm being as polite as possible. He's just an odd dude. But he not only managed to move himself to L.A., but he also got Paul George to go to L.A. And what's really interesting to me as a basketball, you know, I mean, I love the NBA. A decade ago, the Lakers and the Knicks were destination. They were still destination teams in destination cities. The Clippers went through uh, a couple of different like uh, phases of glory years. I mean, I'm going back like way back to like Marco Yarich. Um, I mean, way, way back, and and Corey Maggette and uh, Bobby Simmons and some of these guys that you know. If if you, I mean, if you know who I'm talking about, then God bless you. You and I can be friends. But you know, they this off season we saw Durant and Kyrie go to New York, but to Brooklyn, and we saw now. Uh, Kawhi and Paul George go home to LA, but to the Clippers, like the era of the the big teams just being these destination teams and marketing and branding, like we're we're literally seeing it shift in front of our eyes. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. But you look around the league, the parity you have now with these teams, with two basically with two stars everywhere. Philly, ironically, Philly took a pretty big step back, losing Butler because their two stars are younger. I think they'll still be competitive. The, the East is going to be wide open. But man, like there's a lot of parity in the league. You went from basically having two or three teams that the NBA had to figure out how to market consistently all season long for all 82. Now there's a whole bunch of teams that they can throw on TV and people are going to tune in to watch. Uh, I mean the 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 inner the, like the battles between the Knicks and the the Knicks and the Nets and the Clippers and the Lakers, those got a lot more interesting. Portland, like I said in the open, Portland is a fantastic team that got considerably better adding Hassan Whiteside. Like they they got a lot better. There's just nobody cares about Portland. Everybody forgets about the Pacific Northwest, but that is a good basketball team that was uh, that made some strides in the past couple of years. They still have two dynamic guards, and now they've added a, a front court presence as well. And the Jazz, the Jazz, like look, the the I mean, even the Nuggets. All these teams got better, which is good for the NBA. Um, as the NBA moves towards the 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 no LeBron era, which is fastly very quickly approaching here. They have to prepare for not LeBron years. I mean, even last year, he just proved to not be marketable. But I mean, you gotta love you gotta love the league. You gotta love these these dynamic duos everywhere. It just it's a nice reset for the league after basically spending the last you know ten to twelve years uh, with super teams everywhere. This is a nice reset. I'm looking forward to the regular season more so than I have in past years. You know, but you know the NBA they, they still got they they have other things to work out now. Like they've got. This this insanity about not calling team owners 
owners, but instead calling them governors is just re- absolutely ridiculous and stupid. It hurts my brain to even talk about it. It's one of the dumbest things to come from the commissioner's office. I mean, if you're triggered because you think a business owner somehow implies that he owns the players, is it's just it's so stupid. It doesn't even merit talking about. But that's where we are as a society. Everybody's triggered about everything, and everybody's just pissed and annoyed for whatever reason. And you know, everyone needs to apologize for things that aren't even offensive. It's just dumb. But at least the on the court product for the NBA got a lot better. You know, elsewhere in the sports world, uh, the you know we talked about uh, Megan Rapinoe and the and the women's national team uh, bringing home gold. Uh, Tyreek Hill audio leaks. Turns out, you know, the audio leaks from his you know surrounding his uh, his. Um, you know, his uh, his domestic uh, d- disturbance, whatever. And then basically the NFL yesterday, just yesterday, clears him of all wrongdoing, no suspension at all. You know, this to me speaks more about Roger Goodell getting out of the policing business than it does about actually uh, anything else. And, and I think if you're an NFL fan, I'm not going to go into like the fantasy angle, but if you're an NFL fan, then you're probably annoyed that this didn't happen a few years ago because you know you know you've we've missed out on high caliber talent playing because Goodell wanted to mendle like just get in there basically and reach uh, his own conclusions and police the players his own way. I mean Zeke missed you know six games and appealed and then was back and then was not back. Uh, Kareem Hunt is going to miss time, but here we are like Tyreek Hill completely cleared and the thing that really gets me about this is that it was pretty clear that the audio was 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 altered and like step one in an investigation is get the whole audio file and listen to it before it leaks or even if it does leak like if you played the audio from that uh if you played the audio that incriminated him you should be forced to play the audio that now justifies him and 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 proves that you know it was edited and he wasn't at fault but Anyway, Tyreek Hill playing is a good thing on that team in particular uh, with Pat Mahomes, etc. Like everybody wants the best players in the world to be on the field for as many games as possible. So, you know, I'm not really sure. I I mean, there you you can't you can't fault Goodell for this outcome. You can fault him for the process, which is personally what that's what I do personally. Like I think I don't think he should have you know gotten involved in policing players or their behavior uh, to begin with. But that's you know, that's probably another story for another day. Um, you know what? There's just a lot going on. Like this time of this time of, uh, you know, of year, you get a lot of baseball. And, and right now, frankly, if you're not like if you're in D.C. and you're not watching the, the watch watching the Nationals, like something's wrong with you because they are they are appointment television. They are must watch every single time they're on TV. Uh, I mean, for God's sakes, you got you got Strasburg, you got the pitcher hitting bombs out of the park last night. Um, so if you're not paying attention to them, you should be. The Capitals have, have you know, retooled as well, moving a few pieces and signing a few. Uh, I mean, there's just a lot going on in sports. And the Redskins are, you know, 10 days out, I think, less than 10 days out from training camp. So, you know, we we as a show, as the Defeating the Curse podcast, we are still here. Okay, so don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And yes, there's more content coming. For sure, there's more content coming. But, you know... The next, the next time we come on, I want to. Uh, I think LP and FP will be here. We're going to talk about guys. We're going to talk about the Redskins running back situation. Uh, you know, they had the Triple R series a couple years back, basically getting into the reserves and talking about each position across the across the team. Inside linebacker is a fascinating position to me as well. And you know, for me, the NFL, the main team, the the, the one team that's dominating the NFL storylines right now is the Cleveland Browns. And, you know, ironically, uh, FP told me not, not too long ago, like, if you only listen to certain shows or just look through 
you know, all the topics that we've talked about and how we title our shows, the Browns appear a lot. And it's because we always compare them. I always bring them up anytime we talk about the Redskins. And that's because I personally feel, and I've said this many times, that I would rather have had the Browns roster over the Redskins roster going back three or four seasons. Of course, that's 100% true now. You know, but we got to talk about the fantasy angle with some of this stuff as well. I mean, the Browns are loaded. They're going to be on TV a lot. The expectation is that they should win the AF- They should win their division. They should win the AFC North, and they should challenge for uh, you know, m- maybe even a win or two in the playoffs. I mean, they are on paper a very good offensive team, maybe even offensive juggernaut, depending on on Mayfield and Chubb and some of the pieces. And of course, they're going to add Cream Hunt. But I mean, you got. I don't know how you can cover both Landry. I mean, there's just so much talent that they're going to be intriguing to watch. It makes you wish that maybe uh, Hard Knocks was going to go there this year as opposed to um, last year or the year before. I forget which. I think it was last year. Um, But uh, anyway, there's a lot going on. If you're a DC sports fan, I encourage you, I implore you, add DTC, add this podcast to whatever your podcast player of choice is, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, uh, you know, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Podbean, whatever. Keep up with us. We're going to keep up with everything. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for getting caught up with me. My name is Joe. This has been Defeating the Curse. On behalf of all the boys, yes, we're still here. Yes, there's more content coming. You'll hear from us very soon. But for now, I'm out. <laughs>